when did I propose it originally? I mean, I know we talked about it a lot, but I don't know if I like formally said you should donate 10% at one particular time. Yeah, you did. It was when we were talking in my room that one evening. It, yeah, it was in November because that's like you were there when the election results happened. the Impactivism podcast where we explore how each of us as individuals can get better at doing good. I'm your host Logan Sullivan and this is episode number nine. Hello, hello, hello and welcome uh, today I have uh, I'll be bringing on my very first guest onto the Impactivism podcast. Uh, this is a very close friend of mine named Brian Lescom. So he and I grew up together. We lived together in LA during college for a while, backpacked together through Southeast Asia for a few months. And as we discussed briefly in our conversation to come, he joined me in Haiti back in 2011 during the cholera outbreak there when I was working as a, an emergency logistician with an NGO called International Medical Course. We'll talk about that a little bit. And just to give a little background, so Brian was our high school valedictorian and someone who definitely prides himself on his, his rational beliefs in a way. And because of this, he is definitely one of my favorite people in the world to debate in general, but especially my favorite when it comes to the conversation of converting rational moral beliefs into actions and living in alignment with his morality in a way. So I brought him on today to talk about a pledge that we've both made. And the pledge is something that I've been planning for some years now, but I hadn't quite pulled the trigger on. And because the conversation was a bit convoluted at the beginning, and I wanted to get more to the point, I just jump right into the discussion here after this intro. So uh, we missed a couple details, so I'll spell them out really quickly. So Brian agreed to pledge to donate 10% of his income for life to highly impactful, evidence-based, heavily researched organizations that are aiming to solve priority world problems. And he's pledged also to continue to do the research and to assure that he's investing this money as effectively as he can. And I have also pledged to donate that 10% in much the same way. And I also decided to increase that to 20% from the day of Trump's inauguration until he exits the White House. And the reason for this, as I, I hope to discuss a little bit with Brian, but we didn't quite get there because of some time constraints and a couple tangents. But uh, this was I, th I think that what scares me most about the Trump administration is not what will happen to America. I mean, that's one concern, but that's by no means my, my largest, uh, not even close to my largest. You know, it's I'm rather scared of what will be the byproduct of this America first mentality on the most vulnerable people, the most vulnerable non-human animals and environmental causes in non-America, right, throughout the rest of the world. I guess I'm scared of the byproduct of an extraordinarily powerful and influential country you know, that doesn't really understand the impact they have on the rest of the world and, and what will be the byproduct of them acting in an extraordinarily selfish way. You know, standing behind a leader who promises to pursue American wealth, supremacy, and dominance at any cost, right? So I'm, I'm planning an episode to elaborate on that idea a little bit and discuss how we can harness this frustration, you know, to fuel rational reactions. So I, I won't go into too much detail, but very quickly, 
I think if we deconstruct our frustration with the Trump administration, or at least for me and people that I, I, I speak to sometimes, it seems that our fear can be boiled down in its most basic sense to a couple of, of fears, right? So we, I think we fear decreased well-being for the marginalized and vulnerable, uh, fear an increased inequality in the most general sense, and fear a decreased, I guess, prospect of investing constructively in a just and equitable future. So with this in mind, I could take my frustration out and, and I could yell yell it emotionally at, you know, not my president marches or write very aggressive Facebook posts and this all can feel quite, um, it can feel good inside to be able to get that all out. And I'm not saying not to do that, just to suggest it might not be the most constructive use of this energy. So I, I could also alternative look, alternatively look at, at what I can do that's within my reach to counter these effects, right? To increase the well-being for the marginalized and vulnerable to decrease inequality and to increase prospects of investing constructively in a just and equitable future. And I guess one very, very simple way, as an American who happened to be born into one extreme end of that inequality scale, globally speaking, I know my donation can go a long way in uh, if given effectively, right? Because I'm not in position to to stop Trump. I'm not empowered to stop him right now. And if anybody out there is listening and is empowered to stop him, then give me a call and let's talk about that. But I think most of us aren't. So I, but I do know that I am empowered to cure blindness for a hundred dollars. I am empowered to save a human life for $3,500. I am empowered to save an animal life for 10 cents and to keep a metric ton of carbon dioxide equivalents out of the atmosphere for a dollar and 34 cents. And to put this into perspective, that, that last statistic, the average American is responsible for emitting 21 metric tons of CO2 equivalents per year, which means for under $30, I can keep that much uh, CO2 equivalents out of the atmosphere. And, and just to be clear on that, this is just one very, very simple first step that can be taken. This isn't encapsulating or encompassing of of all of the the ways that we can counter uh, these potential downsides to a Trump administration. They're not the only things we're capable of doing in general for good within our, our reach. So just keep that in mind. This is only one idea isolated for this particular episode. And throughout other episodes, I talk about lots and lots of other ideas uh, that we can put into action. So I guess I probably went on a bit longer than I hoped to right there. So I'm going to jump right into the conversation here. And be sure to stick around till the end for a couple closing remarks. Uh, until then, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I think Brian and I enjoyed having it. How long was it before you said yes? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty convinced by the argument right off the bat. The appeal of this pledge was that a very large impact could be made without drastically changing my lifestyle. And I actually, and, and I liked the prospect that investing deeper in this career path, my current career path, would actually end up helping um, as opposed to feeling like I needed to quit and, and go volunteer all of my time to, to make a difference, if you will. Yeah, 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 of course. And it, I mean, isn't that 
isn't that the most important thing I think to recognize is there are decisions we can make and actions we can take within, you know, the confines of the life that we understand and we know without having to make a drastic change that can significantly uh, impact some level of good. And it just, I guess in this case, it happened to be the reality that you are, you know, in a a developed country and in a comfortable, you know, job where you have an opportunity to offer financial resources in ways that can be, you know, proved to be highly impactful relative to, you know, the vast majority of humans on planet Earth, right? And so, you know, it might feel a little bit better or feel more benevolent if you, you know, quit your job and came to Haiti with me, which <laughs> that did happen once, didn't it? But, yeah. Um, you know, that can feel impactful, but in reality, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you, in that sort of self audit, you were recognizing the certain set of resources you had at your disposal and how they can be used and trying to strike this balance between a level of self-sacrifice and a level of, of impact that you can achieve. And this seemed to be, you know, from as a middle-class American working in a tech startup and doing, you know, quite well, relatively speaking, that this was just a pretty obvious answer, right? Is that, is that, uh, is that the case or am I putting words in your mouth? No, that's definitely the case. And you and I did go to Haiti and, and I ended up staying and volunteering and working there for six months. And was it I six? rode, yeah. yeah, you know, I rode that, uh, that time volunteering for many, many years as, <laughs> you know, and a, a large investment in my charitable mental bank that yeah. I pulled deposits from, like withdrawals from. Moral licensing. I got an episode on that coming out. That, that stockpiled proof of having done something uh, to allow yourself in the future not to think about it so much. Is that the case, do you think? Yeah, exactly. But I, I also was very aware at the time that the person that benefited the most from that experience was myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that I did a good job there and you did a good job there. But the nature of, you know, the the bureaucracy in the like charitable gold rush of post-earthquake Haiti was... Mm-hmm that there was a lot of effort applied to perhaps, you know, unknown results. Um, It wasn't like, I never felt like people were intentionally had sinister motives. It just felt like the end benefit was unclear. Yeah, sure. I mean, of course. And just if I can back up for a moment and give a little background on that, I was working in, in Haiti with uh, an organization called International Medical Corps. I was there after the earthquake in 2010, and I uh, went to the Democratic Republic of Congo with them and then came back to uh, to Haiti a year after the earthquake when there was a cholera outbreak. And I think, <laughs> I remember, Brian, we were in Lake Tahoe for New Year's Eve that year. I had just come back from Congo, and <laughs> I think it all happened in a hot tub, if I remember right. We were <laughs> we were in a hot tub at this house that uh, we rented in Tahoe with a big group of your friends from Dallas and just talked about, uh, you know, you weren't quite super excited about the work that you were doing. And 
wanted to try to, you know, make some changes. And I made the firm offer at the time. And I, of course, I mean, I, to explain this to everybody, I definitely couldn't have made this promise for many people, but, you know, with your background, with your, uh, skill set with uh, your uh, level of critical thought and intelligence. I, I was willing to put my, you know, credibility on the line to recommend you a thousand times over to try to, uh, and I think in the hot tub, I said, I promise if you quit your job, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that you get a position with me in Haiti if you can pay your own way, you know, as a volunteer. And then, so it happened from there. I think, I think it was like six weeks after, I arrived, you arrived, something like that. Was that right? Maybe like yeah, mid to actually, the end of February. I actually told this story at a dinner party last night, but I was flying home from my job in Dallas to Portland. <laughs> and I was, you know, a 22, maybe 23-year-old. I can't remember exactly at the time. And I was sitting next to this really gorgeous 30-year-old woman. And I was talking with her. And I spent one sentence telling her what I was doing, designing, you know, radars for uh, aircraft at the time. And then I spent the whole rest of the flight talking about my friend Logan, who was doing all this interesting volunteer work overseas in the Democratic Republic of Congo and in Haiti. And upon landing, I realized if I just spent this whole flight talking about somebody else, maybe I should consider living that life that I found so intriguing. Mm. And that's when we like we met up in Lake Tahoe that same New Year's, so like one week after that flight, and that proposal was made. And then I think <laughs> I, two weeks later, I submitted my two weeks notice, and February 1st was my first day in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, hey, I remember that story, man. I, I'd have to say that, you know, I've I've since I've written a book that I, I've been working on for a long time, and I will I will say that without having heard that story from you, I'll be completely honest. I don't know if I would have written anything. I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. I wouldn't have known the value of of I don't know sharing a story or of you know, living the life that you see most fit and and understanding what can come from that as a sort of derivative, you know, often things that you'll never, you'll never know or ways that you're having lived your life might have inspired another to make choices or set an example that you'll never know or never confirm. But um, that was an inspiration to definitely continue doing things and, and to share stories. So thank you for that, man. Your yeah, story maybe- and yeah, sorry, go on. I said, maybe your impact on me actually ended up having a bigger impact on yourself. <laughs> We're getting into a loop here. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, uh, we could explore that, but for the sake of time. Yeah, so <laughs> so let's see. Where were we? Back to back to this pledge. So you, yeah, you came to Haiti with me. You utilized that kind of in maybe semi-consciously for a period of time to maybe as a justification for taking less deliberate action for a number of years. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I guess the the nice segue here would be to say that your <laughs> impact on me is now costing me 10% of my salary. <laughs> okay, well, that, I'm proud of that. I'll take that as a very good thing. Can you Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> sure. So... We had a conversation about this pledge, and, and it 
the thing that really interest me, interested me about it was that it enabled me to make a very big difference in the short term and also gave me a focus where I can apply, you know, efforts to make a change without having to like fundamentally change my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it made me realize that I can continue doing what I'm doing now and actually I can take pride in knowing that every investment I make in myself and my career will have rolling side effects of, you know, benefiting the causes that I choose to support with this pledge. Sure, sure, definitely. And so just to add a little detail, uh, I think this had been a a decision I was (laughs) ready to make for a long period of time and something we definitely, (laughs) we talked about once or twice, I think. Uh, but I, I was wanting at some point when finances were in a position to allow me to do so to make a pledge to donate a certain portion of my income for the rest of my life. And it took a certain event that maybe Brian, you can elaborate on that, uh, made me think it was the time to do this. And I think I don't know, was that a portion of you making the decision to do this as well? Uh, And maybe you can explain what that event was and your feelings on that topic. (laughs) Yes. um, It was when Donald Trump won the U.S. presidential election. November 7th, 2016. Yep, which Mm -hmm. infuriates me to no end. Um, But (laughs) in, in a certain sense, it kind of awoke me to the possibility that I would have to myself and people like me would have to work to live in in the sort of country that we took for granted that we lived in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that that even me saying that implies a certain level of naivete up until this point, but it it is relatively the truth. I I mean, I knew there were problems and there were issues, but in general, I felt like the majority of the populace um, felt similar to how I did, did, Mm -hmm. but with just varying degrees of nuance when the fact ended up being that the degrees of nuance were actually enormous divides and completely different sets of opinions um, that I feel like I am willing to fight for both in terms of action and, you know, applying monetary resources towards making that change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it was, it was that evening, right. That, uh, I had flown in. I actually, most of the election, I was on a flight from Portland down to LA and I came straight to your house and, uh, it was a very sad evening. We, uh, spent there watching the results come in and, was it that night we had a conversation and I almost kind of declared it publicly. I almost decided at that point that I'm making the statement tonight, you know, throw it out on Facebook and then everyone in the world can hold me accountable and I won't be able to turn back that from this point forward, I will donate 20% of my income for, uh, for the rest of my life. And, uh, I, was it that night that we had that conversation and then, uh, you you were quite convinced, but not a hundred percent. And then maybe you can elaborate on that, where you, where you, you know, show us the path from the election towards your you know official decision to make the pledge. 
Sure. So I'm not sure if it was that night or it might have been later in the week. Um, but regardless, we had a, a night spent just having a philosophical conversation that eventually led to this direct conversation about making the pledge to donate money. And there were a couple pieces to the argument that I found very compelling. The first and perhaps most important one was the fact that donating money to charitable causes and causes for social good is important to do now as opposed to the end of your life. It's, it's a bit like investing in the stock market in the sense that this world is you know, constantly changing and we need to invest in the good now Otherwise, the cost to fix the problems down the road could be enormously larger. And those, so, yeah, sure. And the, the the investment now will yield so much now that continues to, you know, accrue interest, let's say, and uh, continue to pay for itself and multiply as time goes on. In addition to, of course, we have you know level of urgency in certain certain causes at the moment. I think everybody at a, every every point in time, people have felt a, a level of special urgency in their present moment but i think we can say we're in a, a somewhat unique time in our history where we have an opportunity to either take advantage of the potential that we now possess with uh, you know globalization information technology everything else that allows us to you know having a podcast uh, bringing your voice out to the entire world uh, very very simply and easily that you know technologies that didn't exist just uh you know a decade or two ago um sure. so yeah sorry sorry to interrupt but yeah I, I i certainly agree with that and that's a topic i i talk about a good amount that difference between investing now and investing later so exactly and, and i think that that was a very important factor for me because otherwise I think I was passively of the mindset that yeah I'll I'll you know donate to charities here and there along the way um, if urgent causes come up but for the most part I was in the camp that says like oh well if I save my money it'll help me make more money and then by the you know by the time I'm 70 80 whatever age um, I'll have you know a big stockpile of money that I can then divvy out to my charities of choice <laughs> right before I die. And isn't that uh, a common one? Yeah. And and it's a it's a convenient one because mm -hmm. it allows you to ride that logic all the way till you're that age. And then if you're that age you can just easily decide, oh well I don't want to do that. So <laughs> it, it lets you get through your youthful vigor with a intact moral conscience mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. having to sacrifice a single thing. It's an effective tactic too, you know. I think it's a very strong one, very, very powerful, and again, extremely common when I talk to people about this. Yep, definitely. And so that that became clear to me after really having that conversation with you, and then reading a couple books, and and you know, following up on the subject. Um, but the other thing that became very clear to me, and and which was important was finding those causes that I would be willing to donate 10% of my income to immediately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily obvious because I, as we had mentioned earlier, had worked in Haiti and seen 
the inefficiencies of relief mm -hmm. efforts. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to necessarily put my money towards that. Of course. Knowing that all of this hard earned money that I have could be used in an inefficient manner, mm -hmm. which is is basically akin to not donating at all. And then, I mean, I if I can add to that, I I don't know what percentage, but I'd put the number maybe ninety eight percent of nonprofits that you might be inclined to donate to without doing the research would yield something unsatisfactory as far as what you would be willing to donate to yet maybe it was you, you mentioned a couple books that you read in conversations that we had talking about certain organizations at very 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 small percentage of organizations that are doing you know if, if we can look at a good organization say the 90th percentile to the 99th percentile some of the you know strongest 10 percent of organizations that are doing good and we take a look at that one percent that's doing extremely good it can often be a difference of hundreds of times the impact per dollar donated if our objective is alleviating suffering and we don't have any bias in whose suffering we're alleviating so it was i, I think uh you know what what book what book were you reading it was one that i i gave you it was doing good better by william mccaskill and i rec <laughs> i definitely talk about that in a lot of episodes it's a, a very very strong read there's a link to it on on the website in uh the recommended reading so i yeah. encourage anybody out there i think actually actually brian you made <laughs> you mentioned at one point you'd uh buy anybody a copy of that as your means of uh doing good because you think a reasonable person reading that book would uh there's there's no way they couldn't take a step to uh to make a, a similar pledge or fundamentally change something in their life after reading that you you offered to to buy some books was that right yeah, I mean it's gonna come out. It's gonna come out of this ten percent. I've actually already done that. I, I bought a stack of that book because I thought it to be so powerful. And so now, whenever I have conversations with people about this book, if they're intrigued and express any interest in reading it, I just pull it out of my backpack and give it to them. So awesome. I always always keep one on hand, which is is I think that's great, best, man. That's the the lowest hanging fruit I I can make in terms of my investment in in changing the world because if it had this big of an impact on me, I think that you know the ten dollar investment in purchasing this book for others, if it means they're more likely to read it, will result in a major amplification effect sure. of of people who kind of adopt this methodology and this mindset. That multiplier, yeah. Do you can. Can I ask you this? Well, would you give the book to would you be inclined to give the book to a to somebody who's not necessarily likely to be impacted by a rational argument? Do you think that you're a very reasonable rational person and you absorbed this information and you couldn't deny its conclusions based on your emotional uh, probably a you know, a tendency we have to avoid the complication of recognizing these inconvenient realities that we're a part of. And when reading something like that, 
you can make that choice to either accept the logical conclusion that's undeniable given, you know, read it and you'll understand. But, um, you know, I think some people can reject it and not necessarily pay much attention because it's just too much of a, a burden to take on. Do you think that's the case or do you do you have a little bit more faith in 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 people than I do on that on that sense? Uh, I mean, it's a, li- it's a little bit of a loaded question because <laughs> if people aren't rational, then I, I I do not think that a rational argument will persuade them, and so I doubt I would even be like reaching the point in a conversation with someone where they expressed interest in reading a book that you know proposed this uh, method uh, or mm-hmm. this lifestyle, but. I will say that if if somebody has common sense and is a caring, passionate individual, they there's opportunity for them to find inspiration in this book. You can like disagree with different facets of the book itself, but there's always something that I felt like uh, people pulled out of it, at least the people that I've recommended it to that have read it so far. Um, if nothing else, then then I've noticed a few people that have read it that were kind of frustrated in their careers mm-hmm. as in like, oh, I'm making good money, but I don't know if I want to be doing this in my life. Is this really making a difference? Reading this book actually enlightened them to the fact that just because their career didn't directly impact the social good that they wanted to see in the world, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they could use the money that they made from that career to do it themselves. And that kind of gave them a, a fresh perspective on, on their own career path. Absolutely. And, they, and I think also in that, it's also recognizing that a career is not the only way to accomplish good, nor, nor I guess is donating. I mean, donating again, you know, coming back to being an American in a particular position, globally speaking, and having this opportunity uh, with this unique set of resources and the monetary, you know, uh, resources we have at our disposal. That's a great uh, choice and an easy one to make. But also if you're not satisfied with your career, but you've developed a strong skill set. Uh, you know, you can look at volunteering that time in a highly effective uh, way. So not uh, that doesn't mean, you know, coming to a realization that I haven't, I haven't lived up to the, you know, the life that I wanted to live up to as far as doing something good for the world. So I'm going to go volunteer to build the walls of a school building in Guatemala. But rather, you know, if I'm a database engineer, I can decide to find a highly effective organization that could hugely benefit from my highly skilled services and invest my time in that way. Uh, maybe that's a very different conversation. I guess we're getting a little off track here trying to talk about the pledge, but uh, before we get back on track, can I ask you one thing? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I've, I've read the book a couple times and, and similar books and have a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the key ideas and statistics at my uh, disposal and conversation, I think, so we certainly had conversations along these lines for a period of time, and I know I'm a very annoying person, but I hope you know that <laughs> I don't have that these conversations with everybody, but I knew, I know you're a, a rational, intelligent person, and eventually I'd get through. But so was it, was it the book that, that made the difference? How, how, how much of my um, preaching, annoying preaching to you in the past uh, had, had, uh, the impact and how much was just reading the book that stated 
stated that from a less emotional standpoint and from not coming from an annoying friend. Yeah, well, my immediate <laughs> my immediate inclination is always to disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> uh, just about, I think <laughs> that's on everything. But uh, then we come to you know we, that that's the beginning of a very good debate and conversation, right? So you you can know that you you have a sound argument if I'm willing to put my ego aside and actually admit that you are right, because that means that the <laughs> has argument, that ever happened? Has, has that? <laughs> it means the argument has succeeded in spite of you. Okay. <laughs> I, I okay. I can appreciate that. Uh, I, I'll definitely say our debates and our conversations are not good practice for the rest of the world because for whatever reason whenever i'm debating something with you i don't hold back on my anything at all so <laughs> and well, I, I think it's a good thing no i know no i know it's it's always very always very interesting and and fun but when i'm approaching trying to get a point across or or i don't know communicate an idea to pretty much anyone else in the world i communicate it a little bit differently but um that that's yeah. the fun part maybe <laughs> i think i think the reason it works is because we're typically not debating the core of the issues which we're generally aligned with it's often that we are you know hung up on the minutia mm -hmm. and so <laughs> we we can have fun with that knowing that the outcome is you know generally agreeable to both of us <laughs> I like that. Okay. Okay. So we had a little a sidestep there, but so, okay. I'm still, I'm still not vegan though. So <laughs> That's a work won. in progress. <laughs> That's a part that uh, if there's any example of how I definitely approach you differently than anybody else, that, that would be the topic. But, uh, okay. Get it, getting back to the pledge. So in the end, uh, I guess we, we made we made some decisions. So I, I can say from my side that I've made this choice, that I've made the choice to, through the duration of Donald Trump's presidency, I will be donating 20% of my income. And I have to say at the moment, I don't have an income. So <laughs> since inauguration, that hasn't tallied up very high. Uh, and, and thereafter, I will continue with 10% unless in the meantime, I make a, a decision to stick with 20%. So for at least the next four years, or hopefully <laughs> there's, I think there's a, dis a distinct possibility that it'll be less than four years, but maybe that's my, I don't know, hug box telling me this, but, um, so I'll donate 20%. And Brian, you made the the choice or the decision to donate ten percent for life, starting now. When did when did that start, by the way? It's starting this year. As of January first, as of uh, the twentieth at the inauguration, or or what's the ceremonial date? Yeah, I mean, as of January first, my goal is to get it all in. At, before the you know before the end of the year so that it is reflected on taxes so sure 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 that simplifies I, things yeah yeah i'm i'm not i'm gonna kind of dole it out throughout the year i don't have like a strict budget per month but i just want to try to make make it to 10 percent before you know january 1st of next year mm-hmm 
Okay, so so I'll ask you this. Who I'll I'll ask you first and then I'll explain I guess my thought on this, which I don't think we really talked about before, but who will you end up donating to? And uh where will you gather that information? I know that uh, the the most common uh uh meta charity, which is just essentially a charity that evaluates other charities for their effectiveness uh mentioned in uh doing good better was givewell.org which um the author will mccaskill uh is a contributing um i I don't i don't think he founded it but he's been involved uh very very heavily and that's kind of a, a very central component of the whole effective altruism movement is uh, givewell.org and it's 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 work as well as a couple others but that's for another time so is is givewell the uh you know source that you will be looking at to make your decision yeah so that was as i alluded to earlier that was kind of the the second big piece to this puzzle that helped me gain clarity was being able to discover discover the charities that are extremely efficient. It's almost like as if you have a hot stock tip that you know a stock is going to perform a hundred times better than you know the the market. It's obvious that you want to make that investment, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that that is you know scientifically true in in the uh, charity community actually that made me very excited because it allowed me to pinpoint where I wanted to give my money. And the fact that just recently over the last couple decades, people have started to approach charities and, you know, social organizations with these kind of scientific methodology of being able to attribute, really attribute the per dollar impact. And so the book Doing Good Better mentions this, and then it gives a bunch of different resources. I did look at um, givewell.org. I spent some time on the blog 80,000 Hours, which is another Will McCaskill publication. I looked into some recommended charities from um, Peter Singer on his website. And Thelifeyoucansave.org. That's one. That's another awesome book that's along the same lines, a little bit older before the effective altruism movement kind of gained its name but i think that was published in 2009 that's also recommended on 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 the site so you can check that out sorry go on yeah yeah and so i i think you know part of the fun in this is that now having committed to this pledge i get to spend time researching and deciding where i want my money to go mm-hmm. and it, it it kind of feels like you the what you would do when you're researching buying a new car there's a little bit of like a giddiness and you know that you're making a big investment but you're excited about or or planning a vacation you're like excited about the process itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but i do know some general buckets that i want to be donating to definitely to organizations that are helping to combat climate change um i'm also personally very interested in artificial intelligence and our ability to, you know, evolve our technology with a social consciousness because mm-hmm. I work in tech and I'm one of the people that are unusually fearful of artificial intelligence. And I think that you'll find that 
the people who are closest to the tech industry are the ones who are the most afraid, and that should probably make everybody afraid. Of course, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's the <laughs> that's the scariest part. Maybe uh, maybe we can maybe we'll have another conversation about that. That's an area that I continue to hear more and more about. You know, sort of almost as existential threats to humanity <laughs> at one end of the spectrum, as well as I guess down the line towards the the potential of AI in our, you know, uh, benevolence in the world or, or, or um, as tools for altruism or tools for solving the larger, you know, problems in the world. And I think it possesses, you know, from the very limited information I have on the topic, it possesses as much potential as anything out there to uh, solve problems as well as to potentially create them in, uh, which seems pretty sci-fi to anybody who isn't following this conversation or who isn't researching this now, but maybe we can have another conversation on that uh, down the line at some point. Well, yeah, I think it's a rabbit hole to go down right now, although I will just say that (laughs) the impact that technology has on our lives, you know, but also our, you know, morals and the, the social progress that happens in our societies is, it can be very complex and, and, go very deep and it's only going to get like much, much more amplified as technology gets better. But we Mm -hmm. already have clear examples that aren't very debatable about how technology is changing the landscape of social progress with what you saw in the recent election with the echo chambers on Facebook Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. with, you know, giving a, a voice to any sort of institution, whether it is a charity that's trying to help, adopt local cats or whether it's ISIS trying to spread their message, uh, you know, outside of their own country, technology has enabled that to happen. So um, I think that the debate about whether or not technology is going to shape our moral landscape isn't as much a debate as it is a question of how, how much and how soon is it going to change that social landscape? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually have a guest coming on pretty soon. Uh, Jordan Lejewan, who's the uh, co-founder of futurism.com, who's really involved in that conversation, who's going to teach me a thing or two on the topic. Um, so so to get back, let's see, uh, you were suggesting that, you know, you're looking at GiveWell as a, a starting point. You're also interested in environmental topics and in uh, AI. So just as a, a, you know, a quick caveat for everybody, GiveWell... Uh, it definitely starts from the place of which I hold, I, I believe is the proper place to start from that all lives, you know, are of equal value, regardless of where you come from. Uh, so it, it definitely opposes the community first type of approach to doing good and takes much the opposite approach, suggesting that that multiplier effect exists on other sides of the globe, you know, where if you spend the same amount of time, energy and resources in your community, if your objective is to alleviate suffering in, in the human population, then you're likely to achieve thousands of times as much in the most dire circumstances in the world. So I think that's a hard thing to debate, but just a quick caveat. Uh, it, it seems uh, uncommon that we possess or we, we think about this topic enough to come to that realization that if we do believe that we're all, uh, every life is, is worth the same, then this taking care of our community or our country first uh, 
makes sense in a lot of a lot of ways but when it comes to alleviating suffering it doesn't make much sense at all but uh there's also the, the quick caveat and i won't go into this in too much detail but give well focuses on what we have a lot of certainty in it's a good starting point I guess this is my opinion on this, that given that so much suffering exists and so much is happening uh, in a negative sense in the world, and we understand with a high level of certainty that by donating to these particular organizations, we can, for example, by donating to the Against Malaria Foundation, the very conservative estimate is that $3,500 equates to saving a life of a child in a malaria-prone uh, region of the world. So, um, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm going on a bit too far, but so uh, GiveWell would be a starting point for you, Brian, and you mentioned environmental causes and AI, so um, maybe you can tell us a bit about who you'd be donating to or maybe a resource that people can look into if that's a topic of interest. Yeah, I think 80,000hours.org, which is another like William McCaskill-ran website, has some really good resources and they even have kind of like a a charity quiz that very simply take like takes you step by step through your interests and then recommends buckets that you should um, donate in and so the sort of things that it'll ask are you know are you trying to make an immediate difference or are you trying to look at the like are you more interested in making a potentially massive global difference but at some date much later in the future so it's kind of like are you do you want to take the sure bet that you're going to make a difference or do you want to kind of gamble but you're gambling at a table where the stakes are enormously high um, and so that's why you want to put your money there is because the the effects of that dollar could have a enormously amplified multiple compared to if you just donated to an immediate cause short-term cause Mm -hmm. so i I, what i'm trying to do is like almost approach this like you would approach an investment or a financial or a stock portfolio where i want to diversify and donate to some causes that i know like have very tangible immediate short-term impact Mm -hmm. and to other causes like in like like uh, artificial intelligence and like climate change, where the end result is unknown, but we do know, or at least can surmise, that the impact is going to be enormous. And so we want to take precautions now to try to either taper that impact or be able to potentially even control that impact to the best of our ability mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. So is there is there a particular organization uh on the ai side that you've come across or not yet you haven't quite dug into that uh there's a couple that i i jotted down i don't remember off the top of my head but that's that is a a i'm kind of starting with the buckets where i know i want to invest and Mm -hmm. then i'm going to dig into the individual institutions once the money leaves the wallet sure yeah that's great i'd i guess maybe i can explain my my reasoning, I think quite similar. I've decided I'll donate the majority of mine towards animal welfare. If, if we can look at an organization that's highly effective, it's often the case that 
there'll be a diminishing return on investment when it comes to to donating to that particular cause because getting into that particular cause that's proven to be efficient, that's often because it's picking at sort of low-hanging fruit. And when that low-hanging fruit is gone, then you have to reach a little bit higher on the tree and that becomes a little bit less efficient. So when it comes to animal welfare topics, uh, because there's such a small investment in that realm as compared to human causes, uh, my marginal uh, donations to highly effective animal welfare organizations will achieve a great deal um, from my perspective. And the organization that I look at there is another meta charity that's also involved in the effective altruism movement called animalcharityevaluators.org. Very similar to GiveWell, but uh, of course based on animal uh, nonprofits. So uh, I think we were looking at it quite similarly, that we made decisions based on our particular interests and what also excites us and the premise of doing the research and looking into it in more detail. And I think that's really important to to understand that it's not necessarily the best to to donate or invest your time in the best possible thing that you can do or the best possible organization you can donate to, but recognize that, you know, narrow it down to to the top tier and make the choices that you can emotionally uh, support as well. That can also allow you over time to sustain yourself and feel positive about, you know, if I'm donating to something that statistically shows me a lot is being accomplished, but it's something that's not in alignment with anything that I you know, would enjoy researching and looking into, it's going to be less likely that I stick with that in the long run, I think. So maybe if you find something that's doing 90% as much as the most effective, but you're going to stick with it for twice as long, then of course, that's going to be the better, um, the better investment to make. So, and I think that, that this touches, we're, we're touching on a very important point of, both the pledge and the effective altruism movement is that it's not about a debate between one another about why you should be donating to this charity or this cause versus another, but it's instead a framework and a rubric and a kind of methodology for thinking about how you can donate your money to what you have researched and deemed to be the most impactful, effective, um, you know, organization or movement. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so the, the reason I really like this is because then it doesn't bog down into a debate between you and I about whether, you know, animal rights is more important than artificial intelligence, but mm -hmm. instead it's, a discussion about the, the methodologies to do the research and identify what we deem to be the most effective given our criteria. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so as long as we can agree on the criteria, we can have subtle differences in opinion on the results of how we apply that criteria. Of course, of course. And uh, I think... One more question. Have you, I guess we've gone like way longer than expected, but have you looked into given your income and given your expected income, what you think might uh, eventually, 
what might be the results of donating 10% for the rest of your career? Have you tried to quantify that in any way just to give people an understanding of what you can maybe expect? That, yeah, I mean, to some degree, that is the process by which I came to this decision. But you mentioning it right now makes me want to do it on a larger scale. Like I did that in the span of like a year. Like what would this next year look like? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas I'd like to, it's a good idea to approach it based upon your income and, you know, certain, a certain increase in that income year over year and the average working lifespan, what can the total impact be and kind of approach it like a, like, again, like a stock project where if you invested 10,000 a year for every year until you retire, what would your portfolio of, of charitable good look like? Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that's a cool idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you, do you have any of those statistics for that first year off the top of your head or, or no? Well, I think, if you're comfortable sharing, but don't, if you're not, don't worry. <laughs> well, I think that that might be a good conversation down the road because it's, that really depends on how I end up deciding to yeah. diversify yeah, that, sure, 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 that sure. portfolio. Um, and you know, for it's, it's back to that conversation of there's some things that you can measure immediately, like that statistically it is proven that with $3,500, you'll save the life of a child in a malaria prone region, for example. But the impact that you might have on, you know, potentially averting a humanitarian crisis because a super intelligent art like AI takes over Mm -hmm. is uh, a lot harder to quantify of on a per dollar basis. <laughs> of course. I mean, maybe we could try. Maybe we have an episode where we try to quantify that. I'm going to have to do a little research, a little more than you. But uh, yeah, if, if you want to come back and talk about that at some point, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I feel like artificial intelligence is a bit of a hobby for me, but I by no means claim to be on par with the experts who are working and, and understanding this industry to the fullest extent. Well, you got me beat out. That's for sure. I, that's, <laughs> I don't think I can call it a hobby of mine, but I'd aspire to that one day. We'll see. All right. If you can't, if you can't track down an artificial intelligence expert, I'll be your, <laughs> your, your in-house guru until you find somebody better. All right. All right. That sounds good. Um, okay. Well, let's see anything, anything we forgot. I think that covers most of it. Um, I, I, yeah. I'll just add this one thing I did want to say earlier that I, I, I didn't interrupt, but I just, just to make sure that on the topic of effective altruism, you know, I, we, it often comes down to talking about donations because it seems like from the average person's perspective in the developed world, that makes the most sense. Like I sort of touched on before, it's the easiest uh, choice to make with the least, you know, requirement of changing your life. You know, donating a small amount is is not a large change in the way that you live your life as compared to quitting your job and, you know, moving to uh, Darfur would have been, you know. But uh, there's a lot of other elements in that, but that's something I'll talk about a lot in other episodes. And uh, I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to have will mccaskill on the podcast at some point if i could ever get enough listeners for him to uh consider that so if anyone knows him out there and uh could recommend him uh send me a message that'd be awesome um yeah anything else what do you think man 
No, I think I think we've covered the foundations, um, and maybe you know, depending on the questions that result from this conversation, we can have a part two down the road. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Or even a a kind of retrospective of what we ended up doing with our money at the end of the year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely, I like the sound of it. We'll make that happen. Um, yeah, I think I think that should wrap it up. So that was about twenty. 20 minutes right yeah <laughs> we were aiming for 15 to 25 i think it's been an hour and some so far so um, well if if we're honest with ourselves this was our practice conversation for five <laughs> for five minutes are we gonna yeah. post this <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see so uh yeah i guess that wraps it up thanks so much man i appreciate it and we'll definitely We'll definitely have you back and and talk some more as the in-house AI expert, right? (laughs) Perfect. All right. right. Cue the outro music. I guess that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. If uh, you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as Brian and I enjoyed having it, then I hope we can have him back to talk about some more ideas. Uh, Definitely check back up on how the pledge is going and try to, I think, show that 10% really isn't much of a sacrifice at all. It, It won't, I believe, in almost any way change how we live our lives. And it's just, again, it's one of many, many things that we can do. So just know that this episode was isolated to that particular idea because, you know, one one topic that we can focus on. But this isn't to suggest that donating is the only thing that we can do. But uh, I think you all know that. I I think we touched on that. And um, I'll definitely have other ideas in other episodes. So be sure to subscribe. uh, Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you do get a chance to potentially hop on iTunes and leave a review that really goes a, a really long way. My objective is to try to spread these ideas as, as far and wide as I can. I think, um, yeah, just to put it in perspective, there's a lot of like really, you know, uh, strong podcasts out there that only have something like, you know, one to 200 reviews. So one review goes really, really far, especially at the beginning. So if you get a chance to do that, much, much appreciated. There's details on the website on logansullivan.com just explaining how to leave a review if you haven't done that before. So much, much loved, everybody. Appreciate uh, your support, and I'll be back with much more soon. 